Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open your Bibles up to 1 John. We are going to continue in our series through the book of 1 John. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week. We finished through verse 6 last week, and we're going to pick up in verse 7 today. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Here we go. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Father, we ask for your help today. Uh, Father, the first thing that we ask of you is that we might see Jesus clearly, that we might see the love of God that's been poured out, that we've experienced, that we've come to know. Father, we ask that, that you would show us, Father, all that you will have done for us, all that you are for us, all that you will be for us in Christ Jesus, in the gospel. And Lord, out of the overflow of all of that, God, make us people who love one another well. Lord, I pray that our town, when they think about our church, God, that they would think of a church that loves each other well, that loves our community well, loves our neighbor well. Father, I pray that we might be able to look at our lives and see practical evidence that indeed we We are filled with the love of God, and we overflow with it to others. God, make us responsive. Make us receptive to your word this morning. Father, help us. Be with us in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week, if you were here, we uh, we started in verse 3. And in verse 3, John says something to this effect. By this, you're going to know that you come to know me, okay? And so John started out in verse 3 saying, here's how you know, here's how you have certainty. Here's how you have assurance that you've actually come to know me. And, and what John says about that is that the primary mark of having, having an assurance that you, you know that you're joined to Christ, that you're joined to Jesus' death and resurrection, that you're joined to him in a saving way, is that you are being transformed on the inside and on the outside, okay? So John kind of sums that up by, by saying in verse 3, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments, okay? Now, now, how we thought about that last week was, if I've come to know Jesus, what does that mean, by the way? Well, John tells us, I've come to see his glory. I've come to see who he really is. I've come to see that he's the first and best of beings. I've come to see that, that, that he is glorious, that he's good, that he's perfect, that he's, he's majestic, that he's awesome, that he's everything that I need. And if I've come to know him in that way, I'm going to love him. And if I come to love him, I'm going to trust him. And if I trust him, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to follow his voice. I'm going to obey his commands. And so John says, if you're obeying his commands, then, then you know that you've truly seen him. You've truly come to love him. You've truly come to trust him and to begin to follow him practically in your life. Now, today what John is doing, okay, so, so last week John said you can be sure you know him if you see this transformation in your life, okay? Now today John says, and specifically the way that you're going to be transformed is in the way that you love other people. Okay, 
So John calls this uh, kind of the new command of love. Now, now, first of all, why does he pick this one? Well, Paul gives us the answer to that in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for, love, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So Paul basically says, if you're loving somebody, if you're loving your brother, if you're loving your neighbor, if you're loving your enemy, then you, you're not breaking any commandments. Okay? He goes on in verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul basically says, look, you can sum up the entire law in this command. You know, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. If you're, if you're, if you're filled with the love of God and you're, you're overflowing with that, you're, you're not going to be breaking his commandments, okay? So John says that's this new commandment. He says it's an old new commandment. Notice that in verse 7. Behold, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. And then at verse 8, he says, at the same time, it's a new commandment. So what does he mean by that? Well, it's an old commandment, and that's, that's, that's the message of the Bible, okay? Right? It's the message of the Bible. I mean, if you go back into Leviticus, if you go back into the Old Testament, you're going to see that God commands people to be like him, okay? And, and to be like him is to be loving, all right? So it's not, it's not, it's not new in that sense. Okay? It's not new in that it's like stage two Christianity, okay? So I think a lot of people look at Christianity as kind of like, well, you know, you can be like a regular Christian, or you can be like a super Christian, or you can be like way up there Christian, okay? It's, it's not that. It's not like, you know, well, you just come to know Christ, and, and then if you want to, you can kind of go up to the next level of love. No. I mean, loving people is inherent in the gospel, okay? When, when, you, when you come to know Jesus, when you put your faith in him, okay, part of that is he's going to transform you, and part of the way he transforms you is transforms your relationships, okay? So when we go back into, into last week's message and we look in verse 5, it says, Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Okay, so, so becoming a Christian is knowing God's love, being filled with God's love, and then, then pouring out, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? He walked in love. He demonstrated his love in very tangible, real, specific ways, okay? And so verse 8, go back to verse 8. At the same time, it's a new commandment. How is it new? Well, it's new in this way that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. Okay, you see that little phrase? It's a new commandment. It's true in him. Him is who? Him is Jesus, okay? It's true in Jesus. And so Paul or John is telling us that we know the love of God. We know this new commandment that he's given us because it's new in the sense that we're, we're living out what Jesus has lived out in us. In John chapter 13, there's a great path. We're going to read this probably three or four times during this sermon. So John 13, 34, a new commandment. Notice John uses the same imagery. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, love, love one another. I'm showing you the way. Okay, the way that I love you. The way, the, what I pour into you, that's what you're pouring into other people. Okay, that's what you're giving out. So it's new in the sense that we have Jesus as, as our experience of the love of God, okay? Notice what it says. Uh, you also are to love one another, verse 35. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have this kind of love for your neighbor, for your brother, okay? So Jesus has loved us in glorious ways. He's loved us by offering his life as a ransom, by forgiving us our offenses, by pursuing us even when we're enemies, even when we're sinners. We've experienced, if you're a Christian here today, you've experienced the love of God. You've seen what he did for you. You've seen the gospel, the cross. You've experienced that. You've come to know that. And you want to be like Jesus, okay? 
And so we begin to pour out what Christ has poured into us. That's, that's the imagery that Paul uses in Romans chapter 5. We're going to use that all through the sermon, by the way. In Romans 5, it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given unto us. Okay, so basically what we're doing in loving our brother is we're giving what has been given to us. We're pouring out what has been poured into us. Now, one of the things that people are going to say, one of the things people are going to say is, well, hold on, you know, love, love my brother. Well, you don't know my brother, man. I mean, he's the worst brother in the whole world, you know. I mean, he's the biggest sinner. He, he, he's done nothing but mean to me all my life, and he, deserve, he does not deserve my love. You know what I say? He is perfect, okay? He's perfect because that's the exact kind of love that God has put in you. All right? So, so you're telling me you're being asked to someone, you're being asked to love somebody who doesn't deserve it? Guess what? That's the kind of love that's been poured into you. Love for somebody, you, who doesn't deserve it, okay? As we look at the gospel, okay, as we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we see is that this is the love that's been poured into our hearts. This is the love that we've experienced from Jesus, okay? So as we look at the life of Jesus, let me read this again, okay? Verse 8. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. This love is true in Jesus. And so what I want us to do before we go any further with this sermon is I want, I want to take you and I want to walk through what Christ has done for you on the cross, okay, on, on, on the behalf of sinners to save them. I want to show you what Jesus had done for you, and I want to use Isaiah 53. We're going to be very scriptural about this. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm actually going to read the scriptures. We're going to look at what has Jesus done for you in the gospel? What kind of love have you experienced from Jesus? All right, so here we go. Isaiah 53, we're going to start in verse 3, okay? Isaiah 53:3 He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What kind of love has been poured into you? The kind of love in which Jesus gives life and breath and everything to you and you turn around and reject him, okay? So it's love given to somebody who, who's been poured into and invested in and they turn around and offensively reject. Okay? That's the kind of love that Jesus has given unto us. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. What is that? Jesus carried things that no man has ever carried and that he shouldn't have had to carry. He carried everybody else's junk, everybody else's filth, everybody else's sorrows, everybody else's affliction. Jesus carried that on his back on the cross. Look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, for the, for the, for the sins of the believer. He was crushed. Okay, Isaiah loves that word. He uses it over and over again, crushed. What does it mean to crush somebody? Okay, what does it mean to crush them? What does it mean to crush something? You know that, right? It means that you obliterate it. You wipe it out. Jesus was literally crushed by the Father for our iniquities. Verse 5, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You've not even experienced the full weight of your own sin, okay? Not even of one sin, really. We experience consequences. We experience guilt. Have you ever done something you're really ashamed of, and you carry that heavy load? 
wrote one thing and you're not experiencing the wrath of God for it. You're not experiencing the judgment of God for it. We've never even carried one sin's weight. Jesus, the, the iniquity of all believers was laid on Christ and he carried that. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. Can you imagine that? Man, let me just real be real honest. You couldn't keep most of our mouths shut with a vice grip when we're mad, okay? When someone has afflicted us or done us wrong, we can't shut up. We can't keep our mouths shut. We've got to open it up and spew it all out. Jesus doesn't open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He's taken away as for his generation who's considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken by the transgression of people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, yet there was no deceit in his mouth. Let's end with verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. If you're a believer here today, you've experienced that. You know it. How do you know it? Through the gospel. You got to. That's what it means to become a Christian. As you see, that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus did. That's what I deserved. And he took all of that. And he has loved me in that way. So go back to 1 John. The same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. It's true in him. Nobody's ever loved like Jesus. And now what are we to do? Well, now what the Bible's telling us is that if, if we've received that love, then, then you know what we're to do? We're so full of it, right? We're so full of that love. We're, we're, we've been saturated. It's been all over us. And now, now we're called to drizzle that out. Onto other people. You notice how I said drizzle? That's intentional, right? Because I've never been called to do, <laughs> it's not been my, have you ever been called to carry all of somebody's sorrows and griefs and iniquities and affliction? You ever been completely rejected and despised? You ever been hung up on a cross? That's not been my, I mean, you know, I'm called to do little bitty small things, right? I just got to drizzle it out. God's loved me in this way and now I'm called to, to love Let's, let's go back to verse 6. I just, I'm just going to read the scriptures. Verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Jesus walk? In love toward us, right? Here's an interesting thing. We're never called to do anything that he hasn't first done for us, right? You're never called to pour out anything he hadn't poured into you. How are you going to forgive people? How are you going to do that? With the same forgiveness that he's already put in you. How are you going to be gracious with people? With the same grace he's already put in you. How are you going to be merciful with people? The same mercy he's already put in you. How are you going to be forbearing with people? The same forbearance he's already put in you. And, and it's active and it's living. It's not the kind of love that says, hey man, I love you. See ya. It's not the kind of love that just, just feelings, hey, I got good feelings about you. No, it's the kind of love that sacrifices and acts with the intent to bless. It's the kind of love that's uncomfortable and inconvenient and difficult and it costs us something. And, and this love is new in the sense that we get it from Jesus. He gives it to us. He, we experience it. We're not just watching him. We actually experience this love in the gospel. 
And now we're to love our brother. Other place in the scriptures it says our neighbor. Now I know us. I know us. What's the first thing we're going to do? Love your brother. I'm glad I just had sisters, right? Love your neighbor. You know, I'm convinced some of you guys try to get out in the country so far so you won't have any neighbors, right? I mean, that's what you do, you know? Everybody's trying to get out there, you know? And so if you just had sisters and you got no neighbors, you're like, I'm good, right? I'm good. I'm good with God. That was the same in in Jesus' day. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Remember how that dude gets started? Jesus says, you know, love, love, love God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor, yourself. And, and there's a guy there, there's a lawyer, I think he is. What's he say? Now, who exactly is my neighbor, right? I mean, that's what we want to know. Who exactly are we talking about here? And you remember the story that Jesus tells? He tells the story of a guy going down the road and he gets mugged, he gets robbed, he gets beaten, he gets thrown in a ditch. Everything he's got's taken, he's left there to die. And here comes a priest, he's coming along, the priest sees him, he's like, man, I ain't got time for that, you know. Goes the other side of the road, right on by, here comes a Levite, he comes by, he looks in the ditch, he's like, man, those guys might still be around. He goes the other side, goes right on by, here comes a Samaritan, the least likely guy to help, and he stops, and he goes down in the ditch, and he, and he binds up the guy's wounds, and he puts oil on him, and he medicines him up, and, and then picks him up, puts him on his own animal, takes him to the next town, gets him a room, gets him a doctor, pays for medical supplies, takes care of him, goes on his business, says, I'm going to come back and check on him and there's any cost I'll take care of it and Jesus ends by saying this who's the neighbor who is it it's not the Levites not the priest who's your neighbor the person in your life with needs right that's your neighbor the person in your family with needs we don't get to be selective about this okay you know, I, I, now, 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 granted, there's people all over the world that we don't know, right? And I don't have opportunity to love them, okay? But, but Jesus' point is, whoever's in front of you, whoever, whoever's in your life, whoever is in your family, in your, in your workplace, in your school, in your business, in your, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your town, who has needs, that's, you know, you have the opportunity, that's who your neighbor is, okay? So, so we're to love in that way. In the Sermon on the Mount, you remember what Jesus does? He broadens the thing way out, you know, he says, you've heard it said, love your, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, Jesus broadens this love way out and says, what I put in you You're to give freely to all that you have opportunity to love. Look at verse 8. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. And in you. If you're connected to Christ, this love is in Jesus. Now it's in you. Okay? And then he says this really cool thing. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Two lights already shining. How's it shining? It's shining in Jesus, right? And, and remember we talked about his light. His light is his truth, his, the, the holiness of Christ, the life of Jesus. And, and now we read in this passage, it's the love of Christ. Love's almost the thing that takes the light of Jesus into the world and pushes back the darkness. And verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother um, it, it abides in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. Okay, love and light go together. Hate and darkness go together. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm the light of the world, and I, he's the light of the world in the way that he loves the world, in the way that he gave his life. And now we are little lights. We're, we don't have our own light. We get the light of Jesus. He's loved us. He put this in us. And now we're to push back the darkness. 
Christians are notorious about railing against the darkness, right? We turn on our TV, we're like, oh man, the world's getting so bad. You know, it's terrible. Bunch of sinners, can't believe it. We rail against it. It wasn't this way when I was a kid. Man, I don't know how old you are. You must be like before Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, you know, I don't know, 6,000? What are you, you know? It's been pretty bad for a long time, you know? But anyway, we rail against it. Well, Jesus said, no, you're, you're, you're to be light in this thing. The light's coming. It's pushing back the darkness. The darkness is passing away, and the light of Christ is coming. I think that's what, again, Jesus was saying in John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another by this, by this, by this. All people will know you're my disciples. All people in your family, all people in your work, all people in Woodward. They're going to know. How are they going to know? Because the high beams of Jesus, gospel love that's filled you up, ought to be shining through you. They're going to know you're his disciples. Man, how different is that? You know, you know what I think we like? I think sometimes Christians like to do this, and I've probably been guilty of this. You know, we, we like to uh, we, we like to take, take our, our truth, okay? We like to take our truth, and we like to, uh, to jump into the darkness for a couple seconds and just whip, whip those folks in the dark and then jump back in the light, you know? And then we're like, I'm, I'm doing the mission of God. You know, I'm doing the mission of God. I don't think that's what Jesus intends here. That's not what he intends for his light. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Remember our light illustration? So just imagine this. So you, you, you're in the light, right? Now what Jesus is saying is if you're, if you're in the light, if you're walking in fellowship with God and you're, you're walking in Jesus' truth and Jesus' life and Jesus' holiness and Jesus' love and, and you got hatred toward your brother, you got malice toward your brother, you got, you got anger and you, you want to harm your wife or your, your, your kids or whatever, you, you want them to pay. Okay, what, what's he saying? Man, you can't stay in the light. Why? Why can't you stay in the light? Because remember what the light does, John chapter 3? The light exposes sin, right? So you got this blinding light coming down, and it's, it's showing the big black blob of sin on you, okay? And what does a Christian do? Remember 1 John 1, 9? 1 John 1, 9? It's not that a Christian never has the big black blob on him. He does. But 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when the Christian sees he's got hate in his heart, he's got malice in his heart, he's got anger in his heart, he's got resentment in his heart, what does a Christian do? He agrees with Jesus. Jesus, you're right. I'm wrong. You're right. I can't have this. God, I repent. God, I confess. And, and, and I put it on the cross. And I stay in the light. Okay, but... But John is saying, this guy here, whoever says he's in the light, hates his brother, he's still in the darkness. The guy who lives in that, he can't be in the light. So what's he got to do? He's got to come over here in the darkness. And now, now over here in the dark, okay, over here outside the light of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, now he can get over here and he can harbor his bitterness and he can harbor his hate and he can harbor his anger, but he can't do it in the light. That's what he's saying. He can't do it in the light. 
And we're going to define hate in just a minute. So hang with me here, because I think that's going to be pretty important. I think a lot of us don't think that we hate anybody, but I think we have a different view of hate than John does, okay? And I think you're going to see that in a minute, but that's coming. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. This, that, that word no cause for stumbling is a fantastic word. It's used a bunch in the Bible, and it's almost always used for causing someone or causing ourselves to sin, okay? It's a cause for sin. And the little word means a trap or like a, a pit or a, a snare, okay? And so kind of the picture is you're kind of walking along in your life, and there is something that causes you poo, to trip and to fall, Okay? And, and, and so what John is saying here is that when we have hate in our life, when we have anger, when we have malice, when we have unlovingness toward our brother or sister, we are, A, a cause of stumbling for ourselves, okay? You, you can't be right with God that way. You're going to stumble into sin. You're going to fall into sin. But we're also a cause of stumbling to other people. As I look through at the other places in the New Testament that that word is used, let me give you some of them. Like Matthew 5, 29 and 30 where it says, Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, causes you to sin, same word, you know, cut it off. It's better to, it's better to live life maimed than to go to hell, okay? How about in, uh, what is it, um, is it Matthew 18, I believe it is, where he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and then he was cast into the sea. Okay, you have all these passages about causing others to sin. And here's the reality. When I am not loving people, when I am selfish and harsh and indifferent, you know what? The people around me are going to be caused to stumble by my life. If I'm saying I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm connected to Jesus, but I don't love people, I don't care for people, I, I, I don't pour out the, what's been given to me into other people, I am a snare to people coming to Jesus. Look at verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Wednesday night, I did some premarital counseling after teen kids, and I was on my bicycle. And so I left here about 9.15. It was dark, okay? And I, I took Lincoln Avenue, which is a mistake. I took Lincoln Avenue. And once you get past like 18th, there's no more houses, okay? And, and there's some kind of some trees along there, and there's that big drainage ditch on the side. And, and I got past those houses, and there's no streetlights on Lincoln Avenue. And, uh, and there was no stars. It was a cloudy night. There was no moon. There's no houses around there. And I hit a little patch that was pitch black. I mean, and, and now that I think about it, I had my, my glasses on. I wear, I, I wear my, I these little kind of riding glasses that I wear. And I don't, they're a little bit tinted, so that couldn't have helped, you know. But, but I, I went through time, and I couldn't see the sides of the road. I mean, it was just black in front of me, okay. And I had a little panic moment, you know, because I'm like, am I going straight? If I'm not going straight, I'm going to go off in that ditch, you know. They're going to find me tomorrow morning, you know, laying in the ditch. And, 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 and right about that time, I slowed way down. I was kind of looking for the curb. Where's the curb? Where's the curb? By that time, a welding truck turned on to Lincoln Avenue. And just his headlights from 22nd Street shining down Lincoln was enough light for me to see the sides of the road. And I could see what, what direction I was going. Well, here's what John is saying very clearly and very adamantly and over and over again in verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going. He's blinded, okay? He doesn't know where he's going. What's he saying? If you've got hate in your heart, if you have malice in your heart, 
If you, if, you have, if you have unforgiveness and resentment in your heart, guess what? You do not see things clearly. I mean, what an incredibly important thing to remember. Spiritual leaders, dads, pastors, you can't lead a church with an angry heart. You can't lead a family with an angry heart. You don't know where you're going. You're in the dark. You don't see life clearly. You don't see the gospel clearly. You don't see the Bible clearly. You don't see your family clearly. You don't see yourself clearly. You're, you're right in black. And you know what's so interesting about this? It's true of me. And I'm betting everything I got is true of you. When we are angry, when, when we're full of anger for someone in our hearts, what's true? We are, we are more certain that we're right. Isn't that messed up? True or not? The angrier you get, what? The more you're, the more you're like, this is what needs to happen. You know, man, I'm, I'm going to do it. You know, I mean, that's when we're more apt to act. We're more, because we're more certain of ourselves. John says, no, you're not more certain. You are blind. Okay? I mean, I mean what, what a real practical thing just to hold on to today. That in the reality, whenever we know I've got resentment toward anybody in my life, I ought not act confidently at all. I ought to close my mouth. I ought to not do anything. I ought to get on my knees and get that right so that I can see clearly. I mean, I've, I've experienced that so many times that when I reconcile, I can't tell you how many times that I've been, you know, him and I have been in a conflict or something. And, man, I am so sure that I am 100% right, like 110, you know, and that, that I, I've got this, this rock-solid argument that I, I am completely in the right in everything I've ever done for 23 years, you know. And then here's what will happen. We'll, we'll finally get that worked out. We'll finally come to Jesus. We'll finally get right. We'll finally reconcile. My, my love for my wife returns. What almost, oh, not almost, what always happens I look back, and I was like, yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> Don't, true or not? Yeah, that wasn't that big a deal. Gosh, yeah, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you might have done that, but I did this. And boy, I, I was sure neglecting you. And boy, I was, I was really, that's what always happens. Not once can I think of that we, we kind of reconciled, and I was like, oh, honey, I love you. I was right about everything, but I love you, you know. <laughs> Hadn't happened, man. That's never happened. I always see my wrong. And you got to deal with your anger. You can't live that way as a believer. Okay, let's deal with this love and hate thing. Because we're going to see it over and over again in John. I mean, we're going to hit this again and again. And so we need to start talking about it. And hopefully by the time we finish the book of 1 John... We'll kind of have, we'll kind of have our, our head around it. I'm open, okay? But here's what you're going to find. There's no middle ground for John. John says, you love or you hate? You're in light or you're in darkness? My experience is that's not the way most of us think of life. Most of us think of life in that we love a few people, right? And, and a lot of people will say, I don't hate anybody. But then when, kind of when you press them on it, oh, yeah, that guy, you know. So that's like one or two. But then here's the way we think. There's a whole bunch of people in the middle, right? I, I, I don't know. I love them. I don't know, hate them. I, I just, you know, they're just people. You know, it's old Uncle Fred, you know, and 
old neighbor down the street, you know. I'm just, they're just in the middle. Here's, here's the interesting thing. John has no middle. You see, most people think of everybody being in the middle. John's got nobody in the middle. John's got, you either love them or you hate them. How is that? Well, I think it's this, okay? If, if, you, if you have no desire to do somebody good in the gospel. In other words, when, when you think of this person, if, if you don't have a desire for them to have Christ, for them to have what you have in Jesus, to do them good, to bring them to Christ, to show them his glory, if you have no desire for them to, to, to have good, to do good, if you don't want to in any way be a part of that, John says you hate him. You hate him. I mean, there's two choices for him. Okay, there's, there's people that, as I have opportunity, again, I may not have much opportunity, but as I have opportunity, I really want them to have good. I want them to be blessed with Christ's blessing. I want them to have the inheritance of Jesus. Or you don't. And if you don't, then what are we saying? I'm fine with you being where you are, right? Okay, so let's think about that. If we're fine with somebody being where they are, okay, so they're, they're away from Christ or they're, they're experiencing, they're going to experience the pain of their sin. So what, what's the difference between saying, all right, you're going to experience the pain of your sin, and I'm fine with that. What's the difference between that? Let's go one step further. Not only am I fine with it, but I'm actually going to intentionally pull away from you so that you feel the pain of my rejection. In other words, I'm not, I'm not going to be a friend. I'm not going to associate with you. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just, I'm just, I'm intentionally away from you. What's the difference between that? Let's go one, one step further. And not only am, am I fine with you experiencing the pain of your sin, and I'm going to inflict a little more pain by rejecting you, the third step would be, I'm going to start talking about you because I want people to know who you really are. And I want you to experience more pain, the pain of humiliation. What's the difference between that and not only am I going to talk about you, but I'm actually going to maybe do something to hurt you. What's the difference between that and the final step that if I could, I'd finish you off? What's the difference between those? Before you answer, just think about it. Think about it. What's the difference between those? Let me, let me read you Matthew 5. Here's what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. Right? All of us are like, oh, no, that's not me, Pastor. Not me. No, no. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool, you're worthless. Kind of translation. Will be liable to the hell of fire. Interesting that Jesus puts all those together. You know what I believe the difference is between those? Degree. It's degree, isn't it? I mean, we go from, I don't really care that you're in pain, to I want to afflict the ultimate pain on you. And what's the difference there? Degree. It's just turning up the fire, isn't it? That's all it is. I think that's what John's saying. I think John sees things as love and hate because you, you either want to bring somebody into the greatness 
of what you've been brought into in Jesus or you're fine with them being separated and under the condemnation of the gospel forever. Verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay. What do you say about somebody who says, I have experienced the love of Jesus firsthand, okay? Not, I've read about it. Not, I got to see it. Not, I thought about it. But no, me, I got it. I got it. Jesus has loved me. He loved me. He came after me. He carried my burdens. He carried my suffering. He carried my shame. He was afflicted. He was tortured. He was crushed. He did all that. I've experienced that. What do you say about somebody who's got none of that to share? I wish I could do a magic tricks. Because here's the magic trick I would do. So, first, first thing I'd do is take a bucket, take a big sponge, and I'd soak that sponge in that water right in front of you. Okay? I'd just saturate it, get it all in there. And I'd take it up, and I'd come over on top of Dolores and, and Bonnie, and I'd wring that dude out and get them all wet. Wouldn't that be great? This is probably why I shouldn't do this, but, you know, if I could. <laughs> get them all. Just pour all. Just, they're just drenching with it. They're drenching with it. Right? And that's. That's, that's like us who, man, we've been soaked in Jesus' love. We've been immersed in, in, in the gospel. And now, what are we able to do? It's not, it's not anything of us. We're just, we're just wringing out what we've been soaked in. What do you say about the guy who, I take that sponge and I put it in that water. I take it over right above Dolores and Bonnie and nothing comes out. Zero. It's dry. You know what you'd say, wouldn't you? I know what you'd say. You didn't really get in the water, Pastor. You faked us, right? You faked us. Somehow, yeah, yeah it was a different bucket, right? Or, or you didn't go all the way down in it. That's what you'd say. So what do you say about the person who says, I'm a Christian? But yeah, they walk. Isn't that, isn't that the word he uses again? We, we talked about that last week, didn't we? Whoever hates his brother in the darkness and walks... He's in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Does not know where he's going because of the, Remember the word walk? It's not, it's not an isolated instance. That's not looking at your life and saying, hey, there was one time where I loved somebody. It was, you know, January 3rd, 1972. You know, I'm a Christian. But at the same time, it's not, it's not pointing out your three failures either, right? It's what does my life look like? Do I have a life? Do I have a walk of pouring out what's been poured into me? And when I don't, am I immediately, am I being cooked under the light of Jesus in conviction until I repent and confess and stay in the light? So where are you at, church? Where are you at? Is it, is it in you? Is it coming out of you? Listen, if, if it's not, you need to come to Jesus. You need to see who he is. You need to experience firsthand the love of Christ and the gospel so that you can live that out as the mark of your salvation. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, I, I thank you for the love of Christ in the gospel. I thank you for, for dying for us, for saving us, for, for shedding your blood that we might have life. Thank you for coming after us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you, God, for, for being so incredibly, gloriously loving to us. And Lord, Lord, now let us be like you. God, let us walk as you walk. God, I pray that as we go, that people in our families this week, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, that people in our, our workplaces, in our schools, God, that they would, they would see that's a disciple. That, that guy's been with Jesus Lord, by the way that we love one another, by the way that we love each other as a church, by the way that we love our neighbors. God, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.